Opening program parameters. Player code established. Welcome, Welcome. to the program. A production of TheMetalRobot.com Nobody cares about the robot gimmick! Just start the fucking show already! Ugh. Humans are determined assholes. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Initializing playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. We're the show with laughs, with cries, and with metal music that slaps so hard we've been booked to play at next year's Oscars. This week's episode is no different, of course, as we move into episode 24 of the show, the first show of April, no less. The GJ joins us with part two of our interview, talking about his project, Homie Ushis, how it relates back to his former faith, and much more. You really don't want to miss out on that one. Also, part two of three of my interview with TDW, Tom DeWitt. We talk about his studio, the Imagineering Suite, and much more proggy goodness. We've also got this week's metal news later on, but coming up in a few short moments, we'll get into this week's new releases, including the mighty Mashuga. How do the godfathers of Gent do this time? Stick around, and we'll find out. All this and more, so let's not waste much more time, and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay, and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Episode 24 of the show. The funny thing is the show actually started in 2020 and we're only now on episode 24. Got some catching up to do, don't I? Still a lot to come on the show today, but before I get into this week's reviews, I want to correct something from the last podcast. During the news segment last week when covering the tragic passing of Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters, I said this. Now, according to Rolling Stone, he was found in his hotel in Bogota, Colombia. Bogota? In his hotel in Bogota, Colombia. Bogota. In Bogota, Colombia. Bogota. (laughs) (laughs) In my my defense... I recorded that the morning the podcast was supposed to go live, basically the day that most people were hearing about this, and I had to update a few things because of this news. Add the fact that I had to work at my day job a few hours after I woke up, and you have a recipe for not double-checking how to pronounce names and places. I'm just happy, like, with that situation that I pronounced it Foo Fighters and not Foo Fichter somehow. It sounds dumb, but it's entirely possible with me. Also, feel for me here, I was recording that as my roommate, who's also my brother and a diehard Foo Fighters fan, was just waking up, and me reporting on that story was the first time he was hearing about it. Oof. Bro, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry. (laughs) But we're on to this week now, the first week of April, no less, and that brings forth some new music, including one request from one of you. If you have any albums you want me to talk about on future episodes of the podcast, send me an email, tmckay at themetalrobot.com. That's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com. Or you can reach out on socials, Facebook and Twitter at themetalrobot, Instagram at the.metalrobot. Now, without further ado, let's take a look at what we've got. Immutable, the ninth studio album of the Godfathers of Gent Meshuggah. Quick warning though, if you listen to this on bass boosted headphones, you will hurt. 
Holy shit, this was a beefy listen, not just in terms of the run length being 67 minutes long, but the wall of sound that is this band's instrumental section is thicker than Chris Rock's jawline. From Broken Cog onward, Meshuggah gives you an all-out assault on the eardrums and brain with punishing bass and rhythm guitars, pulsing drums, and powerful shouts. It's awesome how punishing this album is, despite how fucking masochistic that sounds, and the various changes in time signatures are helping this album keep going without getting too boring. There's also more than just the O's on this album. There is some ambient lead stuff and a little bit of the shreddy shreds, but let's be real here. You're here for the dank gent face and the gent face alone. Also, the album exemplifies the key part of why people enjoy Meshuggah. This is a drummer's band. There's a quote, and I can't remember who said it first, but there's a quote that Meshuggah is five drummers playing metal instruments. And it's a statement I can't argue with here. At the end of it all, Meshuggah, much like with Immutable, is a percussive dreamscape, and not meant to have any melody or mainstream song structures pulling it together. It's the rhythms and the power that bring people back, and with this album, it's hard to argue with that sentiment. Rhythm players have another album for their collection to dissect later on after they're done masturbating to the tabs. This album is a marvel of a band who gave us the earliest form of gent from the beginning. But that's also the case of every Meshuggah album. Though in fairness, I don't exactly hear any Meshuggah or gent fans complaining about that. But it does bring up the point about the approachable factor of this band. You could argue that gent is a genre that isn't enjoyed by, well, most. Uh, on top of that, there's so many trying to get on Rise Records bands out there that the entire style could be seen as oversaturated and easy to get sick of. It's what's made my opinions of thrash metal, most thrash metal bands, so strong. So if that is your thought, I can't really blame you for that, for thinking that this album is the opposite of what you want, and thinking that this is just another gent album, because in many ways it is, but here's something that is worth remembering. While there are 15 mediocre or even bad bands out there in a specific genre, there's at least two or three that are top tier for that genre. And when it comes to Gent, Meshuggah, most importantly their album Immutable, is one of those top tier bands. You can't argue with the results. Yes, it is still a Gent album, and you should be considering that before going into it, but with a 14 out of 15, much like Meshuggah fans and Gent fans alike, I'm not complaining for even a second. Denali's vocalist Ross wrote in an email earlier this week, quote, I'm from a new death doom metal band based in Hertfordshire, UK, featuring members of Countless Skies Everest Queen. We would be hugely grateful of any feedback you can give us as well, even if you don't have the time to write a full review. Well, you're in luck, because I do have time to talk about it here, especially seeing as a three-track EP can't be that long anyway, so this'll be a piece of... Why is it 30 minutes long? <laughs> okay, so I almost forgot that he said Death Doom in the email. It does explain why all three songs are reaching the Opeth song length threshold. And yeah, these songs can feel a tad long, but given the genre, I'm assuming that's the whole point. And with this EP, when you remove the notion of long equals bad for a half hour, the EP turns out to be, well, pretty good. These are well-composed songs. They have a decent progression throughout that feels natural. The tones on the guitars by James McGreenery and Adam C. Taylor are fuzzy, but not overbearing. 
Plus, those riffs and leads are straight out of the heavy metal world. Nathan Robshaw's drums actually feel alive here, unlike most other doom metal bands. Simon Marston's bass is thunderous, and the vocals from Ross King are not too shouty and sound fitting with the soundscape provided by the instrumental section. And I think there's a reason for this too. This has the staple of doom metal, don't get me wrong, but it's also really not with those heavy metal licks throughout and even that double kick on Beneath the Waves. Looking at the band's Bandcamp page, it's not hard to see why either. In their bio, they list themselves as for fans of My Dying Bride, okay, that makes sense, Early Catatonia? Okay, now I get it. It does explain why Delaney feels more melodic than most doom metal bands and even, well, not one BPM all the way through. And for me at least, that's a good thing. That being said, the songs are longer than they really needed to be. Yes, this is a death doom band, so long songs are almost guaranteed in the deal, but this isn't Opeth or Dream Theater, people. The long songs are almost because of the band wanting to drag out the songs as long as possible to classify as a doom metal band. I mean, I can't confirm that, but let's be real, that may have actually been the reason. But much like I said in the beginning of this review, if you can look past the super long songs, then this is a great start to the band's career. And with a 13.5 out of 15, I can't wait to see where these guys go from here. This is a joke, right? Are they for real? Okay, well, anyways, Trick or Treat is a real band with a real album, Creepy Symphonies, having dropped this past Friday, April 1st. Are you still wondering why I thought this was a joke? Okay, don't, don't let that be an indicator of whether I like this album or not. The album is pretty blistering power metal, but they obviously have a gimmick and have chosen to dive headfirst into it like I dive headfirst into the candy bowl on Halloween, regardless of age. From the title track onward, you're given a trip to Halloween Town in the form of blistering guitars by Guido Benedetti and Luca Venturelli, strong foundation being laid by Luca Setti's drums, clangy bass lines from Leon Vellani Conti, and the cheese is turned up to 666 by Ali Conti on the vocals. I joke a lot here, but as far as power metal albums go, this does more or less what you want them to do. It really is a spooky good power metal album. But... Have you noticed the month? Yeah, this is the problem with gimmick bands that even Halloween had back in the day before they stopped leaning into the gimmicks. They only work during one month in the year, and April ain't it. It's strong enough to get you in the mood for the Halloween season, but unless you're planning on going to slutty Halloween parties on April Fool's Day, you're kinda out of luck for a few months. But Tom! I can hear you shouting into the phone. What about Ice Nine Kills? They've been doing horror metalcore music for a few years now. Don't they count? Well, technically they should, but they managed to make the gimmicks timeless by making them horror-themed, not Halloween-themed. It's all in the name, Trick or Treat. These guys are basically telling you what they are before even hitting play. And when you do hit play, the self-titled track in the intro confirms everything. Look, this is a good power metal album front to back and is worth checking out, but I do hope these guys eventually realize how not-so-timeless their gimmick is and start to make more timeless music. 12 out of 15, it's good power metal for a spooky season, but maybe better when it's actually in season. 
Oh, come on. How could I stay away from Necrogoblicon? They released a new album, The Fundamental Slimes and Humors, this week, and I'm more giddy than a hentai schoolgirl. Necrogoblicon is technically described as a metalcore band by some, and given some of the riff choices these guys usually have, I'm inclined to agree, but no. This is goblin metal. And yeah, it's really good. Front to back, it's an all-out assault on the ears. Not like a mashugar assault, but every song has the dynamics that gives you some twisted ear candy, and then other moments where they bombard you with heavy riffs and pounding drums. And of course, the vocals of Nikki Cologne is just fucking bonkers. And of course, who can forget about some of the synth choices on this album? They really take us back to a twisted and sadistic 80s sound. And even with that, it refuses to get boring. Every track is unique in their own right, every track gives you something different and something new on the album you haven't heard yet. You'd have to be trying really hard to be bored of this album and to feel the songs blend together. It just can't be done. Of course, you don't have to try too hard to not enjoy this album if Goblin isn't your thing. Yeah, despite my praises, this isn't going to be for everybody, and really, I think that comes down to the vocals. Despite Nicky's insane vocal delivery, his voice is an acquired taste, and not everybody will get on board with it right away. But you know what? I don't care. 13 and a half out of 15. Yes, it's not going to be for everyone, but drink the green Kool-Aid and start hallucinating goblins. This shit is great. And that's it for reviews. Like I said earlier, send your emails to teammckay at themetalrobot.com. That's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com. Or reach out on my socials for any albums you would like covered on the podcast or on the main YouTube show. Coming up, 15-plus artists from around the globe coming together to make some metal music. The founder of this concept, the GJ, joins us again in part two on the Metal Robot Podcast. With the sound design tricks used on the album, how did I not see Demon Trolls coming? A proper metal musician would have said, let's adapt Inferno, and then wrote 20 Metallica riffs, chugged 20 cans of Blue Ribbon, and passed out in his own vomit. I'm just going to call it C-3PO and R2's Evening Getaway. Tom Ellis! Uh, wait. An effective way to have human interaction if you're an introvert. Hey, thanks for coming. How was the traffic? Signum Draconis' Inferno Review Part 2, only on Metal Robot Reviews. Looking to stay up to date on all things Metal Robot? No, not really. What? Why? I don't listen to metal. How are you listening to this podcast? I thought it was Joe Rogan. We're going to pretend he didn't say that. Follow the show wherever you tread on social media. Facebook and Twitter. At The Metal Robot. Instagram. At The Dot Metal Robot. You can even join the Metal Robot Discord server. We have fun there. Links to all of that and more in the description of this podcast. Follow now. Listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to the Metal Robot Podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. I sound like I'm on the radio when I do that, don't I? It's weird. I, I do that just instinctively, but also just because I think deep down, I want to make sure that you're not scared that you accidentally switched to Joe Rogan by mistake. I'm simply saving lives here. God, all, God knows how many times people have gotten a heart attack by accidentally switching to Joe Rogan.
Not true. So a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with the GJ, also known as Guilherme Adriano, to talk about his new side project, Homeusius, which so far has two singles out and a third one currently on the way. Now, if you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend giving it a listen. Episode 22, if you want to find it. In that part, we talked about the origins of the project, how we got people on board, etc, etc. And now we're back with him this week to finish up our discussion. And we begin with... What else? Religion. Let's go back to Homoousius for a moment, and let's talk about the lyrical themes. As we discussed earlier, like the Homoousius is uh, a, a term from from Christian heresy, yeah. uh, and as and as a result, many of the lyrical themes seem to be along those lines. And yet, you previously were studying, uh, from what you told me as well, to become yeah. a theologian. So yeah. you don't have to answer this question if you don't feel comfortable doing so. But sure. what that. What made what was the turning point for you that you were like, you know what, I'm done with with this path. I want to try. Mm-hmm. I want to move on to something else. What made you turn away from the faith as speaking yeah. as someone who grew up in a Catholic household? Yeah, yeah. I grew uh, well, uh, I grew up in a Catholic household as well. Brazil is super Catholic. Uh, mm-hmm. Then as a teenager, I got into evangelical and Protestantism. Uh, and then, you know, I got super serious about it, a little bit fanatic. Uh, but basically what turned me off and turned me down was uh, just the deconstruction, the, the deconstruction of the biblical text. Like as I learned how the Bible was being put together, who influenced what and uh, what councils decided, what to st- what was dogma, how to interpret this and how to interpret that. So as I went down that rabbit hole, I was like, you know what? The Bible, in my opinion, is like a superhuman, uh, man-made sort of book. And it just kind of uh, started casting a lot of doubt into what was really written and how much I should trust whatever characters were being portrayed in those scriptures. And one thing that I always found it was really hard for me to deal with was the violence of the scriptures. Because as an evangelical, I always try to justify whatever super violent passages there were. Like, oh, in this passage, God loves everyone. In this one, he tells you to kill everyone and keep the slaves. I was like, what? How, how can you justify that, right? So those mm-hmm. things always really bugged me a lot. And then once I started doubting the whole process of scripture being divine and God having inspired it, I was like, you know what? I don't have to defend anything anymore anymore. So I just I just want to detach myself from all this dark violence that is being portrayed as, you know, God's will as the as um as a loving history whatever whatever. Mm-hmm. So one way one way for me to deal with this was to start the project uh Homoousius within the steam, you know. Let me use all the knowledge I have acquired studying theology and just be therapeutic about it and not exactly right because I'm not writing in any of the lyrics, but mm. I want to give people some themes and tell them, you know what, write what you want about this theme that I'm giving them. And this is a way for me to confront my, you know, my inner demons and just let go of my past without letting it harm me. Mm-hmm. And so most of, if not all the themes from every song is about um, divine violence what gods do to men and what men do in the name of the gods. And I didn't want to just be within the monotheistic Christian view. So I just expanded to all religions and all uh, views of God there are. So the guys from Morocco, they are actually writing about Islam and like a super dark side of Allah. And then mm. there are some people writing about pagan deities and how they ask people to do bizarre, weird stuff and what they 
uh, and things they did in the names of whatever they believed uh, God was. Some are more specific towards the Christian religion as well. So basically all themes are theological in a sense, uh, spiritual, theological, religious, and mythical. And that has helped me a lot, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm tackling these issues in an artistic way that I had never before. And I had never really had the permission to do before, because as a Christian, I really limited myself and like what things I could and couldn't uh, enjoy, listen to, believe. So this is a way for me to express myself and look at all the things that I avoided and creatively work with them. And how recent was this uh, break away from the faith? How recent, how long ago was this? It's hard to put a number on it, but I had, uh, I had converted when I was 18. I started really, really questioning around 2014. And then I remember when I got to the US, it was gone. So 2016, 2017, I was like, I guess I'm an atheist now. So fairly recently then? Yeah, yeah, fairly recently. Yeah. Basically, Homo Yushis started around the same time I decided, you know what, I got to I got to put this stuff out because because it, it, it can't be in me anymore, but it's got to come out creatively and look nice and sound mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. And I, I, I can definitely, the reason why I wanted to ask this too, is because I know from my own experience, like I'm still, I, I, I still part and part of a Catholic family, but even I'm like, I don't practice the faith as much. I still keep like the, uh, the cross I had from childhood above my door. And I actually even have a Bible in my closet, but I don't practice the faith anymore. And I, I think that came around, came about when I was like 16 years old, when I started learning, oh, there are other faiths around. There are other faiths out there, both uh, there's Muslim, there's Judaism, uh, Islam, Judaism. There's, uh, there's also the pagan gods, of course, and there's plenty of others out there. I'm like, well, what makes it really, what makes this our religion, Catholicism, Christianity, what makes that the true religion at the end of the day? And so that kind of seed of doubt started getting planted. But I I found it interesting because for me, I wasn't studying uh, theology. I wasn't studying to become a theologian. Um, And I thought that was pretty interesting that someone who who was going as far as you were was like, what if this is not right? Yeah. And you know what? It, 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 it's actually good that you turn down your faith because you're a robot, so you have no soul. And there you, you go, end, exactly. You just it, end, up, end up in junk hell, so no salvation yeah. for you, man. <laughs> no salvation for the robots, and I think that's really the biggest crime here. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, I got to a point where I, uh, I was keeping a blog going. Uh, I kept the blog going, like apologetics and like the defense of the faith and and the argumentative side of why uh, Christianity and religion is reasonable, this and reasonable that. I kept it going for over 10 years. I wrote two books on, on the subject. One almost got published, but I didn't go through it because with it because I didn't have the money. Both were in Portuguese. It was back in Brazil. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like regularly attending different churches and speaking to people, speaking to youth groups and all. So I was, I was like knee deep into it. I was very much set on the idea that I was going to become a professor, theologian. I wanted to teach these things. Uh, but then the more I learned, the more I was like, hey, this is great cultural, culturally. This is great historically. It's got some good. It's got some bad. It's great. Lit- uh, uh, the literature is great. But in terms of reality, for me, it was like, nah, it doesn't work anymore. Well, not to mention, of course, like, as you briefly mentioned, like the history of religion is really fucked up. Oh, like, dude. But, like, again, like the, the going back to homie Yushis, like the one letter difference uh, 
led to so many deaths. And as someone who's like, uh, who much like my dad is into history, you look back at, you know, uh, obviously the by history is written by the victors essentially. But uh, in terms of like the Bible says, no talks about all these things as like divine intervention and stuff like that. But when you look at history, all of a sudden, like stuff like the crusades and uh, then of course, like the blaming of the Jews uh, for the black death, there's so much fucked up shit going on in history. And of course, recently, oh, yeah. as was discovered, even in my home country of Canada, the uh, unearthing of uh, the of the of the graves in those uh, residential schools. Right. I like, read about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was all over the news. And we and it was so it was so fucking insane. We ended up actually boycotting Canada Day of all the holidays. So I was like, huh. Wow, that's really <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yep, yep. It, it's got some really dark stuff, and you know, and uh, you can, and and for homoyushis, uh, homoyushis, I can't really say. Never mind. Let me go back. I just lost my my train of thought. <laughs> oh, being good, bilingual, oh, good. being bilingual, sometimes fucks me. Okay, so the thing is, I I, I wanted to uh, to have these songs not only talk about the abuses that people commit in the name of religion, because obviously there's a distinction between what is doctrine, what is good, and then the abuses made in the name of that doctrine and in the name of that good, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, as a philosopher once said, you cannot judge a whole uh, system of philosophy by the abuses committed in the name of that philosophy, right? You got to judge it by what it actually says, right? So I was like, yeah, but if you actually read what it says, what is dogma, you have a lot of good material for a death battle record. Like (laughs) God sending beasts to mole and devour children because they made mockery of a guy who was bald. No shit. That's a story. Look it up. <laughs> like two daughters lying with their f- drunk father so that they could get pregnant. And then I was like, dude, there's a lot of good, very dark material in both Old Testament and New Testament for a death metal record. And if you sing it from the perspective of someone who has no clue what Christianity is, it doesn't matter how you spin it. It just sounds evil. I was like, that's a nice approach. God is only good and loving for those who actually love him. But if you're not on his side, dude, you are, you are fucked. Like what he's right. going to do, what he's going to do to you on revelation, he's going to step on you until your blood sp- spills out of you. Like as if you were a grape, he's going to make wine out of your body. He's going to throw you in everlasting fire that will never be put out. And then he's going to keep you burning and you're going to scream for mercy. And he's going to say no. And then everyone's going to look at you and they're going to praise God. I was like, dude, that's insane. And people are going glory, glory, hallelujah. That's that's not nice. <laughs> that is really not nice. So that's enough material for a death metal record. Oh yeah, and and even like when I was like, because I, recently I did a review of Signum Draconis, their uh, their metal interpretation of Dante's Inferno, right, and I've been following that. It's it, I, I finally put out part two actually yesterday at the time of recording this and and the band seems to enjoy it. They're really they're really happy about it. And uh, Signature Connors, if you are watching this, sorry, it took five months to finally finish it. <laughs> but uh, and I what I was reading up about uh, Inferno, because I hadn't even read the, the poem before doing that review. And I learned that yeah, the first circle of hell um, limbo, I think it's called, is a pl- from what I understand, it's a place where if uh, you may not have been a horrible person in life, but you you didn't believe in God. So here you are in this first circle of hell, which I was like, wow. So <laughs> that is that's kind of the thing. Like even in like 
even though obviously Dante's Inferno is more of a fictional story, an epic poem, of course, but a more fictional story based on his experiences. Uh, I thought that was very interesting to read. Like, even if you even if you're a good person, if you don't believe in God, you're still going to hell. Yeah. yeah, Like, that's that's kind of fucked. Dude, and, and it's not not only that is fucked, but the consensus of Christendom, because Christianity is divided into Catholic, and then there's Orthodox, and then there's Protestant. So right. they don't even agree with them, with them amongst themselves about what should be believed in terms of limbo. And mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, they killed each other over it again. Yeah. <laughs> right? So not only the afterlife is horrible, even for the people who are like far off and never heard about anything, but they try to be a good person they're fucked anyways because they didn't believe the right stuff. So not only they're they're doomed in the afterlife, they're also going to be doomed in this life if they don't accept whatever the church is telling them because they're also going to come after you and try to kill you. So there is just so much darkness within the history of this uh, of, of this specific religion and that I I was like, nah, can't, can't deal with this anymore. Gotta, gotta write songs about it. There's enough good stuff here to make something nice. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, as a whole, the entire, realistically, I think any uh, historical background of religion of any kind, whether it is Christianity, whether it is Judaism, whether it is uh, Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, like there's so much good, maybe not Buddhism, there's so much good material for a death metal record uh, or like any kind of metal record there to, to be able to come up with this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, Wow, that is that again. Like history, history speaks for itself. It's we're we're a bunch of fuckheads. If you ask me, like <laughs> in terms of human beings. Yeah. Um. So, uh, but with we were talking about obviously that there's, you have like 17 songs currently being written. Um. We, uh, we actually have one coming out in April as well. Can you yeah. tell me more about that song that's coming out? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, I cannot pronounce the name properly because it's in French. Uh, but it's it's something like. Autre manjour, something like that. Uh, it basically means overeating, like a person who, the, the act of eating too much, like overeating, right? So we go uh, from a song about a guy eating himself to a guy who's now overeating anything. Exactly. <laughs> I'm yeah. sensing a pattern here. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the nice the, the nice thing about it, because um, Yasmin, the, the woman who's doing the vocals for this one, um, I gave her the theme of Sin Eaters. I don't know if you ever heard about uh, uh, sin eaters, Mm -hmm. right? So they would do, uh, there was like medieval, in medieval times, they would take, they would hire like very, very poor people to eat a meal on top of the corpse. uh, And they believed that whatever that, uh, whatever sins were remaining in that body of that person would be transferred into the food. And then the, the person eating that would, would, get the sins onto themselves and then free the person from the, the disease from limbo is just a very fucking weird idea, right? Sin eater. So I gave her the theme and she came up with the lyrics for Ultra Manjour. And I, and it's, it's sick. It's a pretty sick, uh, pretty sick song. Inter- lyric wise. Yeah. Are the lyrics going to be in French as well? Yep. All in French. I can't wait. Cause I, I, I actually do follow Yasmin on Facebook now since, since she became part of this project and I yeah. saw her doing a vocal demo and I was like, <gasps> that yeah. is, so, I can't fucking wait for this song. <laughs> Cause she, <laughs> she's a really good vocalist. Even I'm kind of like sitting here like, Teach me your ways, please. <laughs> yeah, this was one of the things that I really wanted mm. to have. Uh, I wanted to have women on uh, on board of the project because you don't hear a lot of women growling in metal. Uh, 
Not often. I mean, there's plenty of examples. Obviously, right. Arch Enemy is a most popular example. Uh, one band I do follow is uh, Vintercy, which is a fantastic uh, American uh, blackened metal band. And is fucking amazing. I'll have to send you a single if you haven't heard them. But oh, please do. I've never heard him. Yeah. Yeah, but but that that's something that we don't really hear too often of. Uh, is like yeah, it's fem- true. Uh, women growlers. And so yeah, to have Yasmin here, I think I'm pretty excited to hear what she comes up with. Yeah, especially in comparison in in, uh, in terms of numbers, right? So you have like all these bands uh, popping up, new bands and the classical bands, and 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 from those bands, you only have a few that are uh, female led and only a percentage of those are growling. So you don't really have a lot of growlers. And and once I saw Yasmin doing growlings on, on the Facebook group, I was like, whoa, do you want to be part of yada, yada, yada? I just sent her a message. She was like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's super cool. She's, she's doing like, I think she has three bands that she's working with. And plus this part, she's super enthusiastic about music. So I was very excited to have her on board and, and also, and she's also doing everything in French, which, uh, which adds to the whole idea of the project, which is really cool. And uh, in her song, um, I wanted to do something that would really shine her growling. So there's a lot of cannibal corpse influence in a couple of the blast beats. Mm. Uh, there is, there's also gent. I put a lot of gent elements uh, within the song because none of the previous songs had tackled, you know, groove based genty stuff. Uh, so, I'm, so I'm obviously using this one if you can if you can properly the see the eight ah uh, H string oh, yeah. guitar. Hell yeah! Oh boy, dropped to E, so it's like super. Oh. Yeah, it's an octave down standard tuning. It's super low, so it 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 matches perfectly with what she's doing with vocals. So it's about overeating sins, demons and spirits with an eight string cannibal corpse, genty stuff and blast beats in French. It's going to sound amazing. And is this the first time the A-string is getting used for homie uses? Because I know with, with the right of like, of like, hey, on, were you, you were using a six string in drop C. and yeah. But with Lilium, were you using uh, the A-string for that or was it still six string? No, it was six string. Yeah, uh, all the six string songs, uh, I'm not going to say all. So 90% of the, the six string songs are in drop C or just C standard because it's mm-hmm. the tuning I grew up with. And I love, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, all the metalcore and System of a Down, especially, you know, all drop C. So I learned guitar in drop C. Um, but then, um, you know, with the gent stuff, drop C doesn't really do the trick. It, it can only do so much in drop C because if yeah. you want to go gent, usually um, the highest would be B, I believe, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is even too high. I'd say A. a right. Yeah, a, true. Gent is A and lower, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so I I wanted to experiment with a with a different instrument. I mean, the original song was all written in in uh, standard C, right? I sent it to her. She did vocals, sounded great. But I was like, you know what? I might start getting redundant if I do all twenty one tracks in one tuning. It might start the riffs might start sounding the same. So I started changing the keys, the tunings, and the instruments that I recorded. Uh, different songs. See, that's a good. That's a, one of the good reasons why I kept all the projects open at the same time because I just no. could go in and rewrite the parts in different tunings. So I decided uh, for her tuning to go as low as I could with my eight string without it being too muddy and without mm-hmm. having to use. Um, what do you call the the, the pedal that shifts the, the shifts the tunes down? Oh, the pitch shifter. Pitch, oh, well, pitch shifter. Yeah, I don't like sure. the sound of a pitch shifter. So I just really like to tune it down, uh, to tune the strings down themselves. And uh, the lowest the lowest I can go on my eight strings without sh- uh, sounding like shit is E. So yeah. 
what is it like, like writing with an eight string? Cause I know like once you start adding an actual bass to the mix, it becomes a bit more complicated. Oh dude, it's such a pain in the butt. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, I started, uh, the reason why I got into eight strings was because of Mick Gordon, right? You know who Mick Gordon is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So for everyone who does not know, probably everybody knows, is the guy who did the Doom Eternal soundtrack. And everything he does on the on that soundtrack is either with an eight string or a nine string. A fucking nine string. That is. Yeah. That is and an for a video game soundtrack too. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an octave below C. That's double drop C that's insanely low that's insanely low and so I start I I just I the reason why I bought an eight string was because I started watching his videos and how he mixes his music and how he uses guitar and bass together so I learned a shit ton of good stuff on how to mix an eight string properly so like basically you have to cut a lot of the mid range uh the 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 low range out you have to boost the mids and add this and add that and and just add layers and layers of guitar so it right now i'm in a very comfortable position mixing and tracking wise as in what to do with an eight string but in the beginning it was really hard to get it to sound good and the proof is that if you go to my channel and you look at my first songs with an eight string they sound muddy as heck. I mean, mm-hmm. they really did. They don't. They don't punch you in the face. And I wasn't really sure how to use my bass with the synth and then the eight string because it's like everything is below sub. It's, it's sub frequencies. It's super low. But now I'm in a good position. I know what to do with it. So it, it's a lot easier now. And uh, for homie Ushis, are you uh, are, are you still looking for people to be a part of the project? Because obviously you've uh, you've got so many people. Is there still open slots or are you like? Maybe we need to relax for a little bit. There's so many fucking voices here. <laughs> yeah, bro. I, uh, to be honest, there are two sides of me. One says, yes, come on board. Show me what you can do and I'll make you songs. The other side is like, no, give me a break because <laughs> I, I I need to get 21 songs out before December. That's a lot I'm of I'm just work. one man. Please help. <laughs> And, and trust me, although there are other musicians like you and Bruno that are doing more than just vocals, like Bruno is doing ambience and he's going to be doing orchestration on his song. There's another guy from Morocco who's also doing orchestration. Uh, Marcio Grava, the guy who did the solo guitars on your song. Uh, he's also doing leads and he has a whole song that he himself made. And then he's just sending me the stems and I'm like remapping the drums and putting uh homiusha's sound to it so there are more than uh musicians are doing more than just vocals on the tracks right but still i'm doing 90 percent of the writing and it takes a long time and i meet so many good people everywhere and i'm at a point right now where like some people in the group are are, are suggesting musicians to come on board and people are reaching out to me sending me videos like oh well this is what i can do this is this is my voice i'm part of this band and that and as much as i want to add everyone in and just make everyone a song i'm pretty sure that if i go over the current set list as of now i'm going to be I'm going to start sounding redundant. I'm going to start sounding like, Hey, that song sounds very much like that other song. So right, yeah. creativity wise, I do not want to go further than these sets of vocalists, these sets of songs, but obviously once these are out, I'm going to have evolved. I'm going to have learned new stuff and I want to start making new songs. And by that time, um, some people have already stated that they, they just want to do this one song and then they're going to move on. Some people want more songs. So I'm definitely going to need more people on board. Uh, so I'm always taking emails, always taking messages, always auditioning quote unquote 
for new songs that will eventually come by. And how much do you encourage other musicians a part of the project to take on more than just the vocal roles? Because uh, as you mentioned, there's yeah. plenty of people doing multiple like dual roles here. How yeah. much do you encourage people to be like, like, well, take a bit of initiative. Here's kind of like the base plate of what I'm doing here. What can yeah. you add to it aside from just vocals? Like, is that something you're encouraging? Um, yes. In, in, in some sorts, I am. Uh, it depends on the song on the song itself. So the nature of the song dictates how much uh, outside participation on the writing process there will be, right? So, for example, the write alike on the first one was absolutely set in stone and done once I reached out to you. I had it mapped out already. I knew what I wanted to be, right? Uh, but a, a couple of other songs, I they're pretty open in terms of the genre that I'm writing in and the possibilities of sound that could be added that I know for sure I can't get there. So mm. I know I am limited in terms of orchestration, like symphonic uh, music and orchestration. I can only go so far with my creativity, with mixing, and especially creating melodies with strings and all of that. So when a song has those elements, and if the person that I'm working with has like good enough skills to make good orchestration and know what they're doing. And I'm pretty picky about the, 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 the requirements, the skill requirement to contribute on a song. Right. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure you're the same. We're very picky with the sounds, uh, mm -hmm. the sounds that we make. So if the person is able to create shit that will impress me, I'm like, yep, you got freedom. Go ahead, add your orchestration, add your sounds, add your own take. If you can play guitar solos and you can impress me with your guitar playing, because obviously if you're going to contribute to the song, you have to be better than I am. I suck <laughs> at leads. I suck at solos. I'm pretty good of a bass player and a rhythm guitar player. Um, so whatever they can contribute and there is space in the song that I'm creating, I encourage them 100%. But that's a conversation we have right in the beginning of the song. Like I know in the beginning of writing a song, if it's going to be more open for contributions or if it's going to be more of a one line, I'm going to make the song, you do vocals. And final question I have for you. Yep. I think this is probably actually the most important question that I have for you today. Any listeners, you know where I'm going with this. So the big question is, if you could be any cereal box character, who would you be? Dude, a cereal box character. Uh, the tiger from Kellogg's. Uh, from I Kellogg's? Yeah, yeah, uh, dude, I don't know the name of the cereal in English. Frosted because that's, Flakes? No, because that's the cereal I had back in Brazil. I'm not even sure oh, if, the, if it's a thing that we have uh, here in the U.S. Let me just see here on Google and type <laughs> Sucrilius. Sucrilius is the Kellogg's. Yeah, so it's the tiger uh, from Kellogg's. Uh, Frosted think, Flakes. Yeah, there you go. It's Frosted oh, okay. Flakes. So, yeah. Tony the Tiger. Yeah, okay. okay. Tony the <laughs> you me, Tiger. You had me confused for a second. I'm like, from Kellogg's, huh? I was like, <laughs> wait, try to think, huh? Because <laughs> usually Definitely, when people say, yeah. Yeah, because usually when, when the answer that people usually give is Tony the Tiger or like the, the, the Tiger, they usually say the Tiger from uh, Frosted Flakes, right? I'm like, ah, oh, Tony. But you're like from Kellogg's. You threw me off so fucking hard. I was like, whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, no, it had to be him because uh, back in Brazil, the commercials, the ads on TV had him skateboarding and doing like cool, sick tricks on inside the bowl. And I thought it was sick. I was like, yeah, 
that is the guy I want to be if I were ever <laughs> one of them characters. That's fucking amazing. All right. So thank you so much, uh, my dude, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to give you a few seconds here to shout out whatever you're doing, whatever you got coming up, and whatever you want to shout out in general. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, keep your uh, ears open for Hellspawn Part 2, which is the next song from the GJ, from my the GJ project. It's uh, just go to YouTube and the GJ Hellspawn part one is already there. Part two features our lovely robot men uh, on a monologue intro. And it's a very, very heavy eight string synth driven metal track that is going to be very cool. So check that out next month. That was the GJ Guilherme Adriano, the creator of the ambitious metal project Homie Uges. Be sure to check it out. Check out the first two singles as well, Lilium and The Right of Lycan Part 1. And also keep an ear out for that third single coming out, I believe, this month. Don't go anywhere, though. News of the week coming right up on the Metal Robot Podcast. This week's Metal News Recap is brought to you by My Sanity. Everything is so depressing! Why? To stay up to date with the latest in the metal scene, check out TheMetalRobot.com for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. Now, back into the podcast. Presented by TheMetalRobot.com, this is MRP News. One thing I like seeing about these kinds of segments is when there's not a whole lot of news. I mean, yeah, it makes my job slightly more difficult, but it means that there's not a lot to talk about that is so super depressing. There's a few of them that we're going to get into this uh, this week, along with a couple pressers. But first, let's obviously get the most important update out of the way. Now, to start, I just want to give a brief update on the ongoing story of Taylor Hawkins' death, as a lot has actually happened on this story since I covered it last week. Now, first off, pretty much after the show went up, an early toxicology report suggested what I think most of us knew but hoped wasn't actually true, and that is lethal overdose. A statement released by the Attorney General of Columbia, which was then reported on by UltimateClassicRock.com, went short of calling it an overdose, but said the tests found 10 substances in Taylor's body, including marijuana and opioids, among others. But the statement also clarifies, quote, The National Institute of Forensic Medicine continues the medical studies to achieve total clarification of the events that led to the death of Taylor Hawkins. End quote. Of course, this was also written in Spanish, so I had to translate it over to English. But unless somehow Google mistook continue for not doing, I think it's safe to say the translation isn't that far off. Still, it means that despite the early report, an official cause of death hasn't been announced yet. Though, as of Tuesday, his body was flown back to the U.S. shortly after the Foo Fighters arrived back stateside. And of course, with the news of his death came the not-so-surprising news, but still pretty important development of the band, choosing to cancel all upcoming live shows. Releasing a statement early this week announcing it, quote, Let's take this time to grieve, to heal, to pull our loved ones close, and to appreciate all the music and memories we've made together. My condolences are with the band and Taylor's friends and family, and I hope that they will find peace in this eventually. You can, of course, keep up to date with this as much as possible, as I know I will. Then, with a bit of deja vu, we already talked about Meshuggah earlier in this podcast as their new album, Immutable, just released. And if you heard that, and I'm going to assume you did because you're not the kind of cruel person to skip through the podcast to parts that you actually want to hear the most and you listen to the whole thing, right? Right? 
But, but of course, if you're not cruel, you would have heard me call Meshuggah the Godfathers of Gent, which wouldn't square too much with the notion that Meshuggah actually hates the genre. After all, guitarist Martin Hogström said in 2018, First of all, uh, we're very sorry for creating that genre. Uh, we, <laughs> we didn't intend to. Our bad. Yeah, I bet that brought back some PTSD for some of you Gent fans, didn't it? Well, fear not, because it turns out that might not have been as accurate as we thought, because while while he did say we are sorry for creating the genre, it was <gasps> taken out of context. Yeah, I know, I'm shocked too, that never happens. But in an interview with Loudwire done earlier this week, the Axe player clarified, quote, I know I've gotten the question, you guys hate the gent movement and you guys hate this and that. It's like, no dude, that's not true at all. The simple fact is that we're old, lazy Swedish dudes who've been doing this stuff for a very long time. So when we do a new album, I don't listen to new music at all. Continuing on to say, more or less, that he's flattered that there are bands inspired by the music he's helped make, ending by calling it, quote, the greatest compliment, regardless of what they sound like. So, sorry gent haters, but if you were hoping its creator would have regretted that creation, it's simply, well, not that simple. Then in depressing news, well, depressing news for some, possibly good news for the haters, but when it comes to nuclear assault in the US, that may be coming to an end fairly soon. We're gonna be pretty much wrapping it up. Nobody's getting any younger, and you know, people got commitments and family and stuff like that. That's Danny Loker of Nuclear Assault talking about this year's Metal and Beer Fest in Philly, hosted by Decibel Magazine, and that it might become their last show. Now, while the language used wasn't definitive, it did seem like Danny was clear that, no, really, we're calling it after this. It'll be cool actually playing one of these. I've been to a couple, and then when I go back stage and bullshit with people i always feel kind of like shouldn't i be doing something <laughs> so um should be a lot of fun and it's a good way that i think that might be our last u.s show actually and while i am sure that fans are probably saddened by this news it makes sense that it's happening now like he said in the first clip they're not getting any younger they have responsibilities that you know adults tend to have bear in mind also the band formed in 84 that's quite a long time ago danny himself is 57 years old now now. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that they're ready to stop by now. Though I think someone should tell Lars that. Maybe he might get an idea or two. The world might actually be better as a result. No. <laughs> There's a bit more that the interview talked about, which you can find in the sources document. Decibel's 2022 Metal and Beer Fest is coming up this June at the Fillmore in Philadelphia and includes bands like Nuclear Assault, but also Cannibal Corpse, Candlemass, Voivod, and many others. Tickets are on sale now as of yesterday. Event details can be found at decibelmagazine.com slash events slash metal and beer fest or through the link in the podcast description. Then in some quickie news, we turn over to the pressers. First up, in band signage news, Wormhole Death Records have welcomed a few new bands into their lineup. These including Geometry of Chaos out of Italy and Santiago Boston old-school death metal band Overtune. In a presser sent out Friday morning, the deal with Overtune also comes with the upcoming reissue of their album This Darkness Feels Alive, due for re-release May 27th. The band says, quote, We are truly honored and happy to sign this distribution deal with Wormhole Death going on to say that they will, quote, do our best to keep spreading Latin American metal to the rest of the world. Now, while bands are signing with labels, plenty of others are also releasing singles, including Apirian Bound.
That proggy goodness is called Emotive Servitude and was premiered on Metal Injection this past Thursday with the band commenting on the song and video, quote, the song's theme explores the psychological and emotional manipulation that takes place with those that abuse their authority, and also calling it, quote, a cautionary tale to study our history or be condemned to repeat it. The song is off the band's upcoming release, Multiplicity, set to be released through Layered Reality Productions this upcoming August. And also, if you're looking for some Canadian tours, specific, I know, just roll with me, then Calgary's Hyperia have announced a couple of dates in Alberta next week. The first on the 8th at Shakers Roadhouse in Edmonton, and the Gateway in Calgary on the 9th. That last one in particular will feature Siren, Ulceron, Volition, and Balragath in the lineup. Links to that can be found in the sources document linked in the podcast description. And finally, let's get an update on the war in Ukraine on the metal side of things. First off, one of my favorite acts of defiance, Russian radios, which are arguably important tools that should probably not be able to be accessed by the opposite side, are being jammed by Ukrainians blasting heavy metal music. This was, as far as I know, originally reported on by The Economist, but it picked up steam, even being talked about this week on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Russia's walkie-talkies are being bombarded with heavy metal music <laughs> from Ukrainian operators. Okay, that's not bad, heavy metal. But if Ukraine really wants to mess with Russian soldiers, they should flood their walkie-talkies with an unbearably long podcast. <laughs> Ugh. Well, at least now I know why my Ukrainian listenership spiked recently. Um, <laughs> how how far in the podcast are we again? We're, okay. Um, <laughs> but obviously, it's a bit of a problem for the Russian forces, and even The Economist goes as far as saying that it, quote, helps explain why Russian forces seem poorly coordinated. It does make sense to me. I know with me personally, I'd find it difficult to carry out an ambush if the coordinates were being fed to me like this. Of course, that's not the only metal news here uh, in regards to this. Ukrainian post-black metal band White Ward is hoping to help the war effort as well by auctioning up their test prints on eBay, specifically the test prints for their albums Futility Report and Love Exchange Failure. And with it, a statement they issued talks more about it that was issued on the band's label page, stating that, quote, all money from the sales will go to support our country in this fight against Russian military aggression. Now, as of recording, the bid is still going pretty strong, with Love Exchange Failure up for just over 400 euros, and Futility Report doing a bit less, but still at an impressive 339 euros. If you're interested, you still have until this Wednesday to place your bid. You can get a rare collection, and you support Ukraine in the process. I call that a win-win, honestly. And that about wraps it up for this week's Metal News. You can find all the links that I talked about in the sources document linked in the podcast description, where you can get all the sources, including any of the videos I talked about. Also, you can check out TheMetalRobot.com for more news and press that can be found throughout the week. This is The Metal Robot Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. Ever wanted to take Metal Robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Dead? I charged this last night! For fuck's sakes! Ah! While we can't solve a bad phone battery, you can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. It's 
just something that I wanted to do for a long time, and then I bamboozled the government out of a ton of money and said, buy me this harp. MRP Throwbacks, only on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. 15-plus artists. Multiple cultures. Multiple languages. One almost unpronounceable name. Ho moi yoisios. Hoi me hoi moi mother What the fuck does it say? It's pronounced homiusius. How? There's 20 O's. It's Latin. What'd you expect? The ultimate collaboration project of 2022. Homiusius. A symphonic, death, blackened, thrashing, grooving core fest. What genres? You're listening to MRP. We're back with TDW on the Metal Robot Podcast. Last week, I began my talk with him to dive headfirst into Tom's world and hopefully come out of it without getting plastered with sprinkles and rainbows. Has that happened? I don't know. Ask the pizza parlor that I'm now banned from. But anyways, we're back with TDW in part two. If you haven't checked out part one, I highly recommend it. Check it out when you can in episode 23, the last episode on this podcast. But for now, here's Tom TDW DeWitt, part two. One of the other projects you've got going on as well, because <laughs> apparently you don't know when to stop doing extra things, is, <laughs> is you Sorry. have... It's, yeah, you have a, a studio called the Imagineering Suite, which, yeah. from what I understand, deals with not only audio production, but also web design and video production from what I was able to gather from yeah. the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So which service in the Imagineering Studio do you find is the most sought after? Is it the audio, the web design, or the video? Well, actually, it's um, now I get to put on my non-musician hat and go for the entrepreneur side of me because, like, like I said, the, mu- the music music is my passion. That's my love. But let's face it, it doesn't pay the bills. That's just, it's no. just what it is at the end of the day. Um, and my entrepreneur side, being in the studio, that is the thing that pays my bills. And what I'm really noticing is that um, the fact that I am as multifaceted as I am, because I, well, I taught myself. I, I, I have been to audiovisual school, though. I have, I've done three years of audiovisual school, and that was the shittiest school in all of all of the Netherlands. I'll be the first to admit that. Oh, great. That. <laughs> yeah. I learned how not to do it there, uh, basically. <laughs> if you want to get, you want to go to this school, learn not to do it. Yeah. No, but, well, in a, in a way, I, I actually can, by now, I, I laugh at it a bit, but it's like, I've learned so much about how not to communicate with people, how not to do jobs. You know, it's like, it was very useful experience, even though back then I thought it was hell because it just broke my dreams. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to work as an audio producer. That was a pretty big deal. I wanted to get better at audio production. And I already did video, sort of, kind of, before I went to that school. I already was, you know, f- fucking around with webcams and making stupid little videos. And so I kind of already had this thing. And you had to choose two directions. And it was like audio, video, or lighting. And I kind of decided that audio, video was my thing. So that's what I did. And I learned how to edit on, like, like if you would give me an old AFID console from the 90s, I'd be able to edit a movie for you. You know, like, like I know all these basic things, and I'm happy I got those classes. But what it really was back then is what I already noticed is that I couldn't really pick a thing. And often it would all intertwine anyway, because it's like I was still making music. And when you're making music, you got to make a video. Okay, well, I have a pretty visual brain, so I might as well just write the script for a video and start shooting the goddamn video. And... That, that's mm-hmm. kind of how I how I set out to do those things. And um, basically the year that I got out of that school was the year I released the Haunts as well. No, wait, that's not true. Later, actually, because it was I released the Haunts in 2028 and I got my diploma in 29. 
but I picked up my diploma in 2010 due to what happened to me physically and my whole uh, medical history, which we might get into later. Um, but basically what it was is I just decided after that school, like, okay, I want to keep doing this job. And I like video, I like audio. And I was also already dabbling in websites for the same reason. I had to build my own website. No one was going to do it for me. So I started fucking around with websites and suddenly, ta-da, I have my first website and I did my first music video and I did all these things. And once again, just to reiterate that, the, the thing that I said, how hard could it possibly be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how hard could it possibly be, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. So, so that's really like, I've just kind of wanted to, but what I really feel, and, and that's something I can't stress enough. I had people telling me, like, you do so many different things, and then there will kind of be an awe of that. And I appreciate it when people are, when they say that they appreciate that in me. But for me, the reason why I started learning these things in the first place really is a utilitarian thing. Like, okay, no one's going to help me, so I have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I'm here by myself, and I do really want this. Uh, okay, let's buy some magazines and start reading about it. And let's see what I can, uh, if, if, if I can do this and maybe I can't, then I'll burn those magazines and pretend it never happened. But you know, let's, let's, let's see what happens. And it's well, good for when the heater goes out too. Like, I guess. You, yeah. I mean, I still, and, and the fun thing is I, like I'm saying magazines, because once again, to reiterate early 2010 was not the place it is now. You did, you could not just go to YouTube and search for a video on how to compress your vocals. That shit just wasn't there. YouTube was literally a bunch of kids making crappy films, which I love, by the way, I was laughing all the way when I saw that shit, but it wasn't the world that we live in now. You know, it, it, it like, so I've spent hours studying over like music tech magazines and all these kind of things, just trying to understand whatever the hell it said and, and, and mm-hmm. figuring out how to work with cameras. And to this day, I'll be the first to admit, if someone asks me, like, do you know all the ins and outs of that one thing that you have in your studio? Then I often answer, no. And then people tend to respond, like, you know, like, what? Why would you say uh-huh. no? I was like, no, I don't. But I do know that if I twiddle the knob like this and do this, this, and this, I get a good sounding vocal. Any questions? There you go. No. It's like... My whole attitude is not that I want to know everything that is to know about everything, because then I would never, then that that won't be life. That's not life. <laughs> you know, like for me, no, considering like, the amount of things I'm doing, it's it, that would be impossible. But, yeah, it, oh yeah, sorry. No, I was, sorry, I was about to cut you off there, but, but, but even I was saying like, you don't actually need to even know the internet. like, you don't need to know, well, if I take, if I take apart this compressor here, you can see the wire goes from here and it right. goes all the way through right. this circuit here. You don't need to know all that stuff. Like, and actually, you really I, get down to it. I appreciate it when someone does. Don't get me wrong. I, I love yeah. hearing people geek out about that stuff. Like there's a lot of videos I watch of people explaining, oh, this is soldered here, et cetera. I'm like, I'm so happy I don't have to do the soldering because yeah, no. it's like <laughs> soldering. But you know what I mean? But it's, it's like, for me, once again, utilitarian. I If I buy equipment, that's also why, for example, I love equipment, but also not. Because when you look at the stuff that I have in my studio, people are like, okay, that's not a lot of stuff. It's like, yeah, but everything I have, I use. I know exactly what everything does and why I have it. I don't see the point in buying a huge preamp that, you know, all the websites are telling me, oh, this is the best sounding preamp. I'm like... Yeah, but it's like, what, 12,000 euros and I can achieve mm-hmm. a sound that is similar and way better for my purpose for 1,500. Why am I paying 12,000 for that? You know, like, and that's a really weird uh, way of approaching things, perhaps, but I tend to just no, think. He, 
You're not the, that. That is called the independent musician mentality, right there. That's <laughs> you don't. Yeah, you, it's, 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 that's called the Glenn Fricker mentality. That's how it usually goes. Yeah, I guess it's like you know my, my whole attitude is like I, I love. Don't get me wrong. If someone offers me a cool piece of gear, I'll be the first to be like, yes, thank you. Okay, you know, and then my eyes start sparkling, and of course I love that shit. But it's uh-huh. yeah, exactly. But but it's not. That's not the goal. And to go back to what, regarding making it into something of a career where I can live off of, what I'm noticing is that that's why it's also hard for me to answer that one question regarding which service does best, because I'm literally doing all these things at the same time. If I'm, if I'm telling you now, I, I, to, just to give you an impression, today I finished uh, a video job that I worked on, which I also composed the music for, worked on the audio and made sure that the script made more sense. Mm-hmm all in one go. Um, then I worked on a website for a really cool friend of mine who does reviews and I'm redesigning his website and hopefully making it a lot better than the website he has now. Uh, then I also did uh, a little video edit for our friend Curtis, who might be watching this. Hi, Curtis. Hello. Hi. Um, hi. So um, <laughs> that. And I also, um, let me think. Oh, yeah. I also listened to a few demos for a friend of mine who wanted my opinion on if the compression on his snare drum worked or not. And kind of made a little overview like, hey, you might want to try this. And then it'll fit into the mix a right. bit better. And that's a regular day for me because I would really hate just doing the same thing over and over every day. You know, that would, that would bore me probably. It, it, yeah. Routines tend to get very boring, very, very yeah. quickly for especially creative types where it's like, well, if I am creative outside of this block where I'm supposed to be creative, that's not great for anything. <laughs> You're not going to get the well, best product out of it. Yeah, true. At the same time though, it's interesting because I, I tend to have this weird contradiction in my head in that regard is that I actually work really methodical in a lot of ways as well because I at a certain point you know this as well you pick up your guitar you have a few sounds like okay this is for writing this works because I just know that I get the sound that I need and I can keep moving forward and write that song and then in my case I know that I have a few presets and a few things that I made myself which just work if I want to write something really quickly oh shit inspiration's here now I got to get this riff down you know what I mean like that kind of situation yeah but then when I actually start mixing and producing it, then the first thing I do is remove that preset, listen to that dry guitar part, and then build it up from the ground up from scratch. Because then the, then the creative process is actually making that guitar sound and thinking of something new. But it's like there is a method to the madness because if if you have no method either, that, that's one thing that I've told people. Some people are, are surprised by how fast I can write a song, for example. It's like, yeah, but I do have my methods. I do have my presets. I do have things that I made that I know just work. And that's why I'm saving half an hour of thinking of a drum sound by just clicking a few buttons and having that drum sound lined up so I can just write my song. You know what I mean? It's like there's no shame in having some method to it, but I do believe that the actual creativity, the actual creation part, Mm -hmm. um, weirdly enough, can actually benefit from either having limits or having some method to it. But that's because you're taking away everything around it. When I want to write a drum part, I don't. I just want to write the damn drum part, and I don't want to be invested in how the snare drum sounds. I'll do that another time. I first just want to write the drum part now. You know that kind yeah. of situation. With everything like that we just talked about, everything as a whole, maybe outside of this of the studio, but everything that seems that you are part of is 
unapologetically prog <laughs> in everything that you do, including the uh, the streams that you do for like the stream walking uh, oh, uh, yeah, mini yeah. song sessions, which by the way are, f- I, I even though I haven't had a chance to actually tune in for an actual stream, sorry, but sorry. I've seen the clips. It's I've okay. seen the clips and they're fucking phenomenal. Uh, I think <laughs> I think my fa- I think my favorite one that I just saw like before we actually got on was like unable to tell the difference between an F and an F sharp. I thought that yeah. was I was like, ouch! That actually hit hard. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that, but it was, it, it was a bass note. It, it was just no, but it was. Oh, that explains it. There you go. <laughs> It was, I was working, I was working on a song for that, that particular session. We actually wrote like a really deep synth poppy, trip hoppy kind of song. And there was just one, there was something was off and I couldn't pinpoint it. And then it turned out to be, there was like this pad, like really, really subtle. That was half a note off. And that was the thing that was like, it was, no one noticed it. I noticed it. And then I, when I mentioned it, then I played it solo and then everyone was like, Oh, 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 oh. You know, oh, and it's like, oh. because it was drenched in all these other layers, you would, it, it yeah. would not stand out as much. So, eh. That, that's the hard thing about but, writing anything like, like, where there's like a lot of layers, whether it's prog or symphonic. Right. You just, if something, one thing's off, you'll know something's off, but fuck if you know what it is. <laughs> it's almost like you got to put on a mining helmet with a little light, like, okay, time to go in. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of what it feels like at times, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> if, 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 if I'm not back in two hours, send the Huskies, you know, is that the exactly. kind of situation? <laughs> <laughs> send the light down. Send a sandwich too. I'm fucking starving. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. You would hear this echo coming back from the hole. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but, uh, but yeah, like as a whole, like with everything you're doing, it's on It's unapologetically prog. And yes. yeah. we talked very briefly about your musical influences growing up with, uh, with power metal and progressive metal, but with your songwriting, you know, when you actually get into the progressive writing, is that all intentional for the love of prog or was it all unintentional? Like, well, I'm trying to write a four chord pop song, but I just keep doing it in like 2132 time and every chord is extended <laughs> past my nuts. No. To be fair, like name, name one pop song, name one pop song that features a C major seven at 11 over E chord. Is that, that is not existent. I, would, I, I wouldn't know. I would not yeah. know, know the answer like, to if that there's, one. Like if there but, is a, if there's a pop song that has, that then guaranteed we're in the wrong fucking dimension. But <laughs> yeah, it's like like the, either either you're in jazz or or you're in prog. It's it's one of those exactly. Two. But but no, it's it, the thing is that um, this is sorry for this is going to be a bit more of a dramatic answer, but I just have to be mm. honest about that. Sure. Um, it's like by nature um, because of the high high sensitivity and everything like I kind of always never I never made a secret about you know mental struggles and the way I function and everything and how that often doesn't match up with the expectations of the rest of the world mm-hmm. and the reason why I do that is not necessarily to pander or to uh, you know to have people say oh it's so sad or whatever I'm actually saying it because I know there's a lot of people out there who really feel like they're the square peg in a round hole uh, continuously you know no matter what they do they could I literally had short hair. I dressed up in H&M clothing. I had a normal job. I had, like, around my 21st year, after I got so sick and and I was, you know, I've, I've, um, like, I've been through quite the medical ringer, which is what the album that you mentioned earlier is about, uh, The Days of Clock Stop. When I came out of the hospital, I kind of really made this conscious decision, like, I'm going to cut off my hair. I'm going to dress a bit less 
flashy. And I actually did that for a while. And I was with a girlfriend who also liked me for doing that. And I was okay with it. It didn't feel forced. It felt like, okay, this is something I might need to do now or whatever. And I did that for like three years. First of all, I was fucking unhappy. I wasn't me, you know, like the short hair also looked like shit on me. I look way better like this. But everything about that whole situation kind of proved to me that no matter how normal I dress or how socially acceptable I'm trying to behave or how short my hair is or how H&M normal style my clothes are, everyone's still fucking staring at me. I'm still the square peg in the round hole. I'm still feeling like there's a rule book that the whole world has read that I don't get. That for some reason got, I don't know, maybe the copy was unreadable at that point. Maybe the disc got scratched, I don't know. But you know, that's really what it felt like. And weirdly enough, I think my music was the one thing I kept doing back then as well. Like in that period, I was still releasing music, etc. And I think that music is always a reflection of the person writing it, of the, of the wants and needs of the person writing it. Mm-hmm. And if I start writing something, I feel that after a few chords playing the same thing for four bars, I'm bored. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to explore. I want to go and like, okay, let's put some bagpipes in there. Fuck it. Okay. Now yeah. uh, let's see a breakdown. Okay. Okay. Now, now we break the bagpipes over a piano and we, you know, it's, that's, it's weird, but that, that's, it makes sense because that's my brain. My highly sensitive I brain. I kind of do want to hear a metal breakdown with bagpipes now. Am I the only one who's? <laughs> Actually, I mean, technically wouldn't, wouldn't corn snakes and ladders fit that description though? Probably. I mean, because I love that song, by the way. I unironically love those first couple of Corn records. Like, they're, they're heavy as balls. But, you oh. know, it's like, and, and those first three, the, I know that Jonathan Davis played some, had some bagpipe thing on a few songs here and there. So I'm not surprised. I, I think that, they might yeah. have done this already. Um, I have to look into that. <laughs> it, the song Snakes and Ladders is heavy as fuck. I, I quite like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so, so basically when people ask me like, okay, so can you write something simple? It's like, well, actually I also wrote simple stuff because I have this website called tunes done well, in which I compose music that people can use for free. And mm-hmm. that's, and there's easy listening rock in there and like simple jazz, just, you know, three chords and you know, really simple stuff because I figured, okay, this has a purpose. The purpose is that I want to create this sound bank, like so that people can use it underneath their videos and they can just pick the jazz song. Okay, there you go. But then it's not really composing where my heart is into. Right. And like my heart is into it because I like doing it. I like the exercise of composing something simple, but then when it's done, it's not like, oh, this is my greatest work. No, it's it serves its purpose. People are happy with it. And I heard multiple video makers are actually happy that I made that stuff. So, hey, good on, good on me, yay. But when I write something for myself, that really gets my blood, my heart pumping and really gives me that goosebump emotion, then yeah, I kind of end up always writing these weird riffs and these, these angular breakdowns and these genre switches halfway and all that kind of stuff, because that makes me happy. And that's the kind of music that makes me happy as well. So that's the important thing too, is like do something that makes you happy rather than just conforming to like, like whatever's outside, which I know I'm sounding like a total punk kid right now. It's like, do not conform. But that's kind of the reality of it. Like you got to be happy. Like that's the end of the day. Yeah. You have to be happy with what you're doing. And what I, I used to think for the longest time, um, I used to think for the longest time that if you, if you were conforming, you were not yourself, but right. I'm starting, but I'm starting to realize now there's, there is things in which I actually 
do conform between brackets when I'm working as an entrepreneur, for instance. Like yeah. I've actually had a lot of people saying like, oh yeah, the first time I saw you with your long hair and everything, I wasn't sure what to expect, but you're actually one of the nicest, sociable, relaxed guys I worked with. And, you know, I often get the response that people really like working with me for that reason. And it's like, um, so in a way I then conform because I do like pleasing people. I do like having a nice time with people. I don't want to be an asshole. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. I like being a good, same as with all the posts you see me post on the social media. I sometimes get people like, Oh, it's not very metal. What you're posting It's like, well, then go somewhere else. Yeah. I'm, like not, I, I'm, I'm not interested for, in not in everybody in metal has to be kind of thing all the fucking time. Not everyone's honestly, taking pictures in graveyards. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just going to say this out loud now, and, and by, I've said this multiple times and lost people over this, and the people I lost, I'm not missing. I'm just tired of that whole glorifying toxic behavior. It's like mm -hmm. being a badass, you, you can be a real badass on stage while making metal, but the moment the music's done, you're just a regular fucking jack-off. You're not – like I have such a high – Ugh, yeah. annoyance <laughs> with these black metal musicians who think they have to be true all the time. I'm like, Oh, can you please do that somewhere fucking else? Because I'm not interested. You know, like I'm, I'm interested yeah. in, the, I'm interested in the guy that goes up on stage that, you know, does a Dillinger escape plan kind of thing and destroys the fucking stage and then comes off and is like, okay, I hope that was good enough. You know, yeah. those are, those are the kind of guys I want to hang out with, you know, like that's interesting people because they don't need to be edgy for the sake of edginess. They actually have something to throw out there in that yeah. moment. And like at some point the corpse pain has to come off. Like when you're not right. on stage, you don't have to be, you don't have, you don't have to be like that if you're not who, if that's not who you are. Exactly. And I mean, one of the best, best examples, and I don't even like his music that much, but I love Fenris, for example, from Dark Throne. I think he is amazing mm -hmm. in that when you see him and you hear the music he does and how he acts, and then it's like, and then you see the interviews he does, and I'm seeing with his cat, and he's like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know either, man. You know, like, I love that attitude. It's like, Honestly, it, it's so weird, but I saw so once said, like, what is the most unlikely person you would want to have a beer with? Like, I would love to have a beer or, you know, something to drink. Tea, fine. Tea is fine, too. But I just would want to hang out with Fenris once, even though I don't even like his music that much. But it's just because I think we would have the most funny afternoon ever because he just yeah. sounds like such a fun dude, you know, just to hang out with. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. Like that one of the more like. Uh, what, a different example that I know people usually would point to for that kind of thing is like fucking corpse grinder. Like I, I know that. Would, but, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. I know that fucking like, <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know I've, I know I've personally made jokes about the fucking like uh, the homophobic shit that he, that he's been yeah. known for. But, uh, but like the dude's uh, fucking like you, you take the lyrics that are in cannibal corpse yeah. And you then compare it to the fucking huggable dude that with a giant neck who it, who, who well, goes yeah. to claw machines all know. over America. Sorry, sorry, I have to correct you there. It's a neck with a dude. It's a neck with a dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. A it's a neck with a dude. dude. Yeah. Who, who goes to claw machines all across America and donates whatever toys he gets. Like, you just realize one doesn't match, and yet I'm okay with that. That's but kind it, of it, what it, I actually think it matches completely because if you scream that kind of stuff night after night, you need balance. And yeah. I think in his, I think in his case, I've heard interviews with him also regarding that homophobic thing. I do kind of want to go go back to that real quick because sure. some people are like he said homophobic things in the past, and then when you actually heard what he said, and I'm not going to repeat it because I, I think it's in poor taste, but. He mm -hmm. literally said something in the context of Warcraft, I believe. And it was a World of Warcraft thing. It was yeah. a World of Warcraft thing, and he he used 
a specific word, which nowadays I would, yeah, it's in poor taste. But when you look at the context of him saying that, first of all, at a metal festival, relatively drunk, and he was <laughs> he was really taking the piss. Still, like in a way, and what I know is I actually have um, also my share of gay metal friends around me who actually are like, honestly, it didn't vex me that much. Like, sure, it's in poor taste, but whatever. It's it's a fucking death metal singer. What do you expect? The context is important. Basically. Yeah, it's it's like I think it would be way worse, and that's the point, and that's why I, why I tend to cut George some slack now when I see him like I still would say if he if someone asked me like yeah it's in poor taste and I wouldn't fucking say it and Mm -hmm. I feel that he knows because I remember that at a certain point I actually read an interview with him in which he actually said like yeah we all said stupid shit that we're not exactly proud of now and that's also a growing process and then I'm also a bit like okay if someone acknowledges that then it's still not you know it's still not worth a prize and it's still something you should watch out for if someone says it unironically but at least but, you're aware, essentially. Right. It's like, you know, the mo- the moment it would have been worse if he would responded like, yeah, that's not my problem. You know, like this real Gen X edgelord uh, response, if you know what I mean. That would be the point I would be like, okay, fuck you and fuck everything you stand for. But that's that's not the case. I feel that, and, and that's the thing, like we all say stupid shit. I know for a fact that I've made jokes in the past that I'm not exactly proud of now. And... Is that because I'm a bad person? No, because about 20 years ago, certain things just weren't on my radar because no one told me. And yeah, yeah. Now they tell me, and I'm like, I, I, I had this situation with with a trans person that explained a few things to me recent, like a few years ago, actually. And that was the first time I actually talked to someone who uh, was transitioning. And that was not a lack of interest from my end. I just never spoke to anyone who went through that. So. She told me a few things like, yeah, okay, well, but if certain things are being said and you hear it over and over and over, then, and the fact that someone explained it to me made me realize like, hmm, yeah, I think I might've made that joke as well. I, you know, like, like that, 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 that doesn't look pretty on me, but what was really good about it is her response was actually, yeah, but that's exactly why I can't be mad at you because the fact that you respond like that means that you never meant it in a malicious intent. You never meant it to belittle me or anyone like me. You never meant it to make us feel bad. You just didn't know. Right. You know, like you, you gotta be- you It's gotta, a joke in ignorance, essentially. Right, you, and, and in a way it's like, I feel that there's a sense of, there's a level of ignorance that everyone has because you, look, we, we all pretend that we're very intelligent creatures, but if someone, if one person doesn't explain something to the other person, then sometimes you just don't know. You, you gotta get stuff, thought to you, which is fine. But mm-hmm. if you know, and then you consciously choose to remain being an asshole, well, yeah, then you're obviously the asshole because then, you know, you got the knowledge right there. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I think that's, that, that's something that people tend to forget, especially in the internet age. I've like, I am a bit ambivalent regarding cancel culture. Sometimes I see people getting canceled and me thinking, yeah, okay, fuck that. I'm not going to miss that person. You know what I mean? But there's also been some moments that people got really got attacked really badly. And then when you started looking at the story, it's like, okay, this person just legit legitimately didn't know it's still stupid. But if they would have been educated, if someone would educate them now, you might actually reach more as opposed to vilifying them. Instantly yeah. It's and, not worth know. ruining someone's life because they, they're just an idiot. Right. Cause right. I, because right. at that point, you got to look back on yourself. It's like, well, what what dumb shit have you said back in high school that you oh, like? Yeah. You oh, would yeah. probably 
that you probably get canceled for like nowadays. That's why that's why even like when uh, back when remember when James Gunn was getting like the the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, director. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That was. A thing. Yeah. I, I, have to, I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of hazy on the details from. What no, that's that OK. Was. But he, basically his Twitter from like decade before he got right. canceled was like uh, was like outed uh, by a bunch of people. And no, because he'd say some horrible things back in the day. Uh, but he basically which are, got, pro- which are probably horrible. Let's face it. If they were yeah. horrible. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, then, yeah. Yeah, but even he was right. like, but even you looking back at that, like, first of all, those were from years ago. Like you can, you have to imagine what probably happened in that amount of time. His response oh, yeah. seemed pretty clear that yes, I made those comments. They are fucking horrible. That's not who I am now. And he still got fired. <laughs> I was like, um, but, but that's, oh, the, the, the thing, the thing regarding that is like, then, then you kind of go into this, you go into this limbo of, um, also in his case, it's the whole business thing. It's like, there's a big company above that. They don't yeah. want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. So they just throw him out preemptively. You know, it's, it, they ended up hiring like, back afterwards, but yeah, no, I, yeah. I do get, I do get that, but the cancel, the, the whole cancel thing didn't stop. And I think that's kind of one of the mm-hmm. interesting things of cancel culture. Uh, that's like, you know, it's a valuable tool. I'd say like a valuable, probably the wrong word to use for it. Don't cancel me, but it's one of, no, no, it's, but it's no, a very, I, I, yeah, there's pe- there is people who have literally been acting like complete monsters for years who finally got what they deserved. And then I'm like, then in a way it's poetic justice, but there is, yeah. Definitely some situations in which um, I've seen, especially in the YouTube sphere, I've seen some people get canceled and actually crawling back up again because then the evidence would actually prove otherwise. And then people will be like, oh, we might have judged you a bit too quick there. We're sorry. You know, like that, that, yeah. kind of, that also happens. And the Internet is both a wonderful and I mean, that's kind of a prevalent item we've been talking about all throughout my because of my career and everything. It's like the Internet is beautiful and horrible at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's like it brings us together in having this talk right now. It bring it brought my music to a lot of people and it still feels surreal to me that I can send vinyl records to America and people will be like, oh, I'm so excited to hear your record. Like that, that is that is a weird. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's my and beautifully mind blowing. Like it's it's something, and also I've I kind of made a choice, conscious choice. If I can give one pro tip in this whole mess of words that I'm launching at all of you guys, um, I've I've kind of decided that I don't want to think that's normal. I I, I kind of decided somewhere along my career, like I'm not gonna become the guy that is like, oh yeah, but obviously I'm this good, so that's why this is normal. No, I, I want mm-hmm. I want to keep being. Um, in wonder of that. I want to keep being in wonder of the idea that someone is willing to give me money for my music because mm-hmm. I think the moment you start, stop realizing that, then it's like, then, then it becomes a job, then it becomes boring. And then, then all the love and, and, and life and passion out of music just disappears because then it just becomes getting those numbers and not oh, legitimately yeah. connecting to people. Yeah, I think I know that all too well uh, from like past YouTube channels that I've done where like, like I started treating it like a job when it was like a previous hobby of mine. Like for those who don't know, uh, before doing Metal Robot Reviews, I was doing a Let's Play YouTube channel. Really? Yeah. And I I was like, that's great. It seems great for me because I love video games, but it's also, yeah. But then you realize you start treating it like a job and especially with someone who is an interest based learner. Uh, I had to be interested in it. Yeah. All of a sudden this is like, you're doing it too often and you're treating it like a job. All of a sudden I dreaded turning on the console. I dreaded turning on the game. Because it's work. 
because it exactly yes it's, it's no longer fun a anymore. Fun. exactly oh man so, yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Part two of my interview with Tom TDW DeWitt. Part three is just as fun, by the way, so stay tuned for that. All right, let's wrap this up. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. And it's time to wrap things up for this week's episode. But before we go, let me tell you what's coming up next week. I'll be finishing up my interview with TDW where we get into some deeper questions, such as his songs putting babies to sleep and his passion for political issues. Also, another interview from back last year, much like Joseph Isaiah, I sat down with Scattered Hamlet in anticipation for their album Stereo Overthrow, which is currently out now on all platforms. All this and more next week. In the meantime, thank Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can follow the show on the internet, YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, Instagram at The Dot Metal Robot. You can also check out everything Metal Robot on TheMetalRobot.com for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. I'm Tom McKay. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night. <laughs>